I took a trip to Orchard Farm Organics to speak with Caroline Finney about life on the farm. Uh, hello. Orchard Farm Organics is an organic farm, about a 10 minute drive from Princeton University. And they are part of this program called CSA, or Community Supported Agriculture. So the CSA model, which was comes out of Rudolf Steiner, it's based on his ideas of social and economic and cultural life. That the, it's called the threefold social order, that the economic life should be based on brotherhood. So the consumer, you, let's say, and the producer, me, we enter into this mutually beneficial relationship, mutually supportive relationship. So I'm not trying to get a, take advantage of you, and you're not trying to take advantage of me. So the CSA model is a wonderful model for the farmers to feel supported by their community. By purchasing shares, people in the community support the farm and pick up fresh produce every week during the growing season. In this way, Orchard Farm Organics is a community farm in which the growers and consumers provide mutual support for each other while also providing financial security for the business. Also offer programs, educational programs. There's just so much to learn. You know, we, we're really dependent on, on food and we want it to be the most vital and most um, healthy food possible. And part of this is maintaining sustainable practices. We don't, we're not mechanized because we're an educational mm. facility, really. We don't want to be too mechanized. It could be more practical. We have one farmer doing everything, laying out the plastic. The, no, we're not mechanized. We're wheelbarrow loads. <laughs> they also try to disturb the soil as little as possible. It's what we call no-till practices. And all of this is part of an effort to promote sustainability and environmental preservation. We want to protect that environment. And part of how they go about doing this is through something called biodynamic practices. And we are also working with a special kind of organics, which is called uh, biodynamics. It's based off the teachings of Rudolf Steiner. You're the, the man Rudolf Steiner. <laughs> who is an Austrian philosopher and scientist from the early 1900s. All through his adult life, he was sort of recognized as somebody who had this deep insights into human nature, into things even beyond what you can see. In 1924, there's a group of farmers. They're already very successful farmers. They gathered, and they knew a little bit about his philosophy because he has a spiritual philosophy as well. Spiritual philosophy meaning it's not like a religion, but um, the basis of that is that within each human being, there's a unique spiritual individuality. And also that goes from, from incarnation to incarnation. So I see you here, but you're still alive when you're not here in a physical form. So he says the farm should be a self-contained individuality. So all the fertility for the farm should be derived from the farms. And a large part of this process is the use of compost. So that's why we have cows, because the cows give us their wonderful manure. And how the cow has taken up what's on the land and churned it in its stomach and regurgitated and so forth and and then give us this manure but then the manure is already 
partially digested and is also filled with all these wonderful cow forces. <laughs> and um, so we gathered that from our fields and we put it on our compost piles, in our compost piles. The compost piles are, consist of everything. You can also add to it. It's just like if you're making a stew or a bread or something, you want to add spices or, or some herbs. You can add these preparations that, that will harmonize the, the compost. And every year, we enrich our beds with our own compost. So through the use of traditional and biodynamic practices, Caroline's farm generates its own fertility through composting instead of the use of synthetic fertilizers. But these processes also take a lot of time. So I'm wondering, you don't use machines and you do all this work to make the fertilizer with the manure and compost. Mm -hmm. And so all of this takes a lot of time, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So how do you think about all of the time you put into preparing the fertilizer and to planting the seeds and harvesting that would be a lot faster if you just bought fertilizer or used a machine? Yeah, well, you know, there's something about doing things yourself and um, something about doing meaningful activity. You know, it's really meaningful, this work. Um, it's meaningful. It's a teaching tool, too. If I went and bought it, I wouldn't know exactly what was in it. And I know when I take a seed between my thumb and my first finger that I, I picked that one seed up and I know it's going right in there. It's a very direct connection between myself and the seed. But it's, there's something about the connection of the human being with the farm. And that's another big thing about biodynamics. He says that the farmer should have a direct connection with the farm, be connected with everything. Your eyes, your senses, everything is alive to this this entity, this this your own individual entity. And it doesn't mean it's mine. It just means that my ego presence or the farmers that work with us, people that work with us, they have this this ego consciousness or the awareness of what's going on. And um, when, you, when you don't know everything that's going on, um, surprising things can happen. So biodynamics isn't only about sustainability, but it's also about a farmer's ability to have a connection to their farm and a greater understanding of the earth. And this kind of knowledge is what helps farmers like Caroline work to prevent crop failures. That's all part of the process, right? Oh, yeah. Things go wrong sometimes. They do, they do. And um, that's why we have the CSA model, because people understand that we're just working as hard as we possibly can, and you'll have a crop failure. And it's also when you plant your seeds is a really important thing that we consider. This is Stella Natura. It's a, a biodynamic planting calendar, which I use. So there are times that you can plant your seeds where they will be more protected in their development. Okay, so it says working with cosmic rhythms, biodynamic planting calendar. Yeah. So there's different cosmic rhythms and that depends the time. No, at which spooky you... stuff. Right? <laughs> well, 
Okay, this is um, something that I always thought was a little strange, but there have been people who've done research. So they planted, let's say, radishes. Planted radishes on a root day, and radishes beautiful and round. They planted radishes on a flower day. They're just going all over the place. So there have been people who've done this scientific experiments with planting according to where the moon is in the constellations of the zodiac. So that's where we consider not just, oh, just throw your seeds in whenever, but you, you think that there is a connection. So for hundreds and thousands of years, people have been, have considered that when the sun was in a certain constellation, certain things can happen. When it's in a certain, the moon's in a certain constellation, something else too. So when the moon is in a, in a fire constellation, then you should plant seeds that have to do with fruiting. When the moon is in an earth constellation, then you would plant what kind of crops? Roots. Yeah, got it. Okay. When it's in a in a water constellation, plant leaf. And then air is more flowers. And for plants, the saps are very much influenced by the moon, for instance, the, the phases of the moon. Steiner says it was an old peasant philosophy and just a, a proverb, you know, after a rain and before the full moon is when you plant your seeds. That's where the moon forces are most influential along with the water. I think it's a really great idea. <laughs> I love it. Uh, do you so know a that? lot of your daily routine is decided by this calendar? Yes, um, when I'm planting. And so thinking about how different moon phases affect the harvest, I wonder if climate change has had any impact on the farm. Yeah. Has um, climate change affected <gasps> How much mm-hmm. work you have to do or what you have to do every day. I tell you one thing we've noticed. We're completely organic here. Not a bit of poison anywhere. But we see less birds. I see less insects. But how is it? our life different? Well, the heat. Heat of the summer is tremendous. And the quality of the insect life is it's, it has changed tremendously. So all of a sudden, you're getting insects that you never saw before, like the harlequin beetle. That beetle has black and orange and white patterns on its back. It's so beautiful. But it sucks the life out of the kale and the brassica. We didn't have those harlequin beetles, but they come up from the south. And so now we have them more. So... We have different different insect life that appears with uh, climate change, but but it is hard. You know, it's it's really hard when when you have a crop failure, or you go out to pick lettuces, and you the day before you saw those lettuces were just perfect for the CSA. You checked it out, and and the night before the deer have jumped over and chewed them down. You know, and and that's really. 
really hard. You know, that yeah, but it's you part be... of the. It's part of the. What you're in. That's Caroline's husband Bob, who just walked in. Hi, darling. Come on in. See, it's different for every farmer, every place, when every year. But then there are diseases that come that you didn't have. Like, we never had the um, the onion fly. Onion fly has just arrived from the south. So there's hotter temperatures, there's less biodiversity, and the heat is bringing new invasive species from the south that are hurting their plants. Caroline and Bob are out in the field every day, working in the earth, so they notice these things. So from about April to October, you're doing farm work every day? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah all the time. And how do you feel about that repetition of every day? Going? Repetition? This is Rudolf Steiner. It's different every He day. said he was once doing some carving in this building they were building. And he was a very slight man. He, he was brought up very, very poor and just almost like a waif he looked. But he was, was a man. So he's working so hard. And these guys with these big muscles were saying, how come, you, how come you're, you've been at it all day long and you're, you're still not tired? He said, there's strength in rhythm and I often think about that when you have a rhythmic life like the convents or the you know the monasteries or uh, at labor pray and work you know there this life that's regulated and rhythmic it's very very healing and you know what's happening your body gets into the rhythm. If we sleep at the same time, we eat at the same time, we, you know, anything we do in a rhythmic way brings strength and um, it, it nourishes us, you know. So, yeah, um, it's never, the more the repetition, and that's when you have a change of how things are going to go in the future, that's what's driving me nuts right now because things are going to be different. But, you know, we we'd be doing the same thing more or less for 20 years so this is the time to prune now's the time the trees there's the time to oh the everything has its season that's why i don't want to ever get out of this you know somebody could put me on a in an old folks home but i'm going to just <laughs> escape out the back door and i'm going to want to just be with nature because nature has just is so giving and so um, well, it's interesting all the time always interesting and so oh no is it boring is it no the repetition is um nurturing it's really nurturing and but it isn't repetition <laughs> every day there's something you're going to do but it's part of a a plan Caroline says that there is strength in rhythm, and Bob points out that while they have the same routine every year, what they do every day, week, and month is different. They are constantly learning new things and adapting to changes like in the climate. This mix of consistency and variation has made the farm what it is. Well, like, we started when organic agriculture was just really getting moving. And there's a evolving consciousness of of uh, how 
you should be working the land. But still, we have Monsanto monopolizing seed production in many markets. And Monsanto is an American corporation that is a major producer of pesticides and GMO crops. They also dominate many food markets, both nationally and internationally. So how does a farm survive? And we're preserving the land. We're preserving the, the practices. This is a hard thing because you I go to these biodynamic conference and I was with, you know, a lot of young people, but then there are a lot of people my age or even older, and there's this one woman, she said, well, this is the year I'm saying goodbye to my farm. You know, it's being turned into condos. You know, the inheritance, the kids don't want a farm and, um, you yeah. know, they're going to get more money by turning it into condos. And, you know, she's weeping. And um, so... I don't know what we're going to do to preserve and support the um, the little farmers. What we're trying to do is see what's going to happen with the future of this farm. So what we want for sure is that this farm stays as a farm and it doesn't become a developed place. We've become so disconnected from the earth and here we have an opportunity to help people. Caroline and Bob as well as a lot of farmers in the Princeton area who don't have any successors and face offers from either real estate developers or big agribusiness are worried about the future of their small farms, as well as the sustainable agriculture movement that they have been a part of for so many years. What is the value of this farm here? It's the food, but it's also the education. It's the, the social life that's built around a community working together and supporting one another. Mm -hmm.